morning. Welcome to worship at Central Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad that you are here and that you have joined us for worship. We just want you to know that your presence is a blessing to us, whether this is your first time here or whether you've called this place home for many years. Uh, you'll find in the pews beside you uh, friendship pads, and we'd invite you to take those out and to uh, fill that out with any information that you'd like to provide, pass it down the row so that we can get to know each other a little better, maybe even greet one another by name later on during the passing of the peace. Um, this past week, we had our very first uh, watercolor class. Uh, it was great. I learned so much. I had tried to do some watercolor painting on my own. I had watched some videos, and I still needed some help. So I'm so grateful for Pat's instruction and direction. Uh, we had a lot of list of supplies, and we went through that, through things that we needed to try out. And unfortunately, there are some things that you cannot purchase on Amazon or at Michael's, one of which is patience. Um, <laughs> I told early worship, I looked for six packs, for two liters, for lozenges, nothing in patience. Uh, so one of the things that is really hard for me is just to wait and to watch. We did uh, some tests with some washes where you put some pigment on the paper and, and then you stick another color and you watch it run down. And before, I wasn't really good at waiting and so you can see how it didn't turn out very well. Um, but, uh, but as we sit there and we, we would turn the paper up, we would watch the colors kind of bleed from one into the other, and you could hardly see it. You had to sit and wait and watch for a long time. And slowly, over time, you could watch uh, these colors meld into one another. And so sometimes I think we look at the world around us and we too see that there are a lot of things that need changing. There are a lot of things that need to be done differently, that there are a lot of places, and sometimes it can be overwhelming for us to experience that. And yet, God invites us to dip our paintbrushes into the pigment and put a little on the page and to be patient and to wait and to know that in time uh, that God will continue to bring these things together, to bring beauty and to bring life to our world, but we still have the chance and the opportunity to work to make a difference and to know that uh, God will continue to bring this goodness to bear. So I'm grateful to be in this place where we can continue to be reminded that we are all welcome here in this place and that we are all challenged to continue the good work of peace and of love and of justice that God has called us to. So let's worship together this morning.
Good morning. Uh, will everyone please stand for the call to worship as you are able. Now thus says the Lord, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Through water and river, through wind and flame. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Through heartbreak and tragedy, through nightmares that do not disappear in the daytime. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Through everything that has been, through everything still yet to come. Please pray with me. Guide us, O great Jehovah. We are people of sin and people of promise. We desperately need your guidance both through inner urgings and outward promptings. Help us to listen to your still small voice and to the words of your present day prophets in order to have the vision and will to turn from our sin and fulfill our promise. Make us agents of love and seekers of justice in this beloved land of ours, which has in so many ways gone astray. May we create gardens of compassion and love where there are deserts of apathy and even hatred. 
Raise us up, O oh God. Guide us. May this service today help encourage us along the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now please turn to one another and pass the peace of Christ. Good morning. Good morning. So my name is Sarah Ashley Soley. I'm typically not here at the 11 a.m., so I'm glad to be with you today. I typically attend the 845 service. Um, but I am on the missions committee, but I'm also serving as this year's team captain for the Crop Hunger Walk. So I'm here today to give you some information about the Hunger Walk and also invite you to participate. So just a little bit of background on the Crop Hunger Walk. Uh, uh, the Crop Hunger Walk is the community-wide event that's sponsored by Church World Service, and it's organized by local congregations, such as ours, to raise funds to end hunger at home and around the world. And this marks the 50th anniversary. Uh, it started in 1969 by a group of teens and young adults, uh, and they pioneered the first hunger walk in Bismarck, North Dakota. And these uh, group of young people challenged themselves and their neighbors to walk 20 miles. Uh, and uh, this was a way to relate to people around the world walking long distances to survive. But this wasn't only an act of solidarity, it was an act to shorten the journey for people. So for every mile they walked, they asked their friends, they asked their family members to donate uh, to Church World Service, the food and water projects that Church World Service was offering. And needless to say, that little event was a huge success. Uh, from Bismarck, the idea spread from town to town and all over the country. And this little walk has become a national event uh, to end hunger, and uh, it's now known today as the Crop Hunger Walk. Now, 50 years later, a few things have changed. We're going to be walking three miles, not 20 miles. Um, so that's good news. <laughs> Um, but um, it, we still support the, the global hunger and poverty fighting work of the Church World Service, uh, and a portion of the funds will go to uh, local uh, agencies, uh, and 25% of the funds will actually go to God's Pantry, 25% of the funds raised here in Lexington. And it makes a real difference from providing clean water in remote regions of Argentina, uh, or latrines in Vietnam, from uh, houses in Haiti to schools for refugee children in Serbia. The Crop Hunger Walk helps people in over 30 countries. In addition, the Crop Hunger Walk supports local, local hunger relief um, efforts through, as I said, agencies such as uh, God's Pantry. So this year, the Lexington Crop Hunger Walk will take place on Sunday, September 29th. It's in the afternoon, 3 p.m. Uh, we'll start at uh, Second Presbyterian Church. 
So I invite you to join our team uh, and walk with us on the afternoon of the 29th. But if you are unable to participate, uh, I would uh, ask you to, to donate and support our team. Uh, we are uh, hoping to raise $500 and uh, just kind of uh, this money, if, you know, if it takes $50 to provide an entire month's uh, worth of food for a family who has been displaced. So, you know, I ask that let's just take the opportunity to join together as a congregation to support Church World Services' mission of promoting peace and justice and eradicating hunger uh, and poverty. So I'll be in the foyer after today's service to assist you in signing up for the walk, or if you just choose to donate, uh, also be collecting donations. So again, together we can carry on the footsteps of those people that uh, started this 50 years ago in North Dakota. So together you know, we can end hunger one step at a time. Thank you. Amen. Good morning. Obviously, I'm not Don Hart. Just once, once again in my life, I'm covering for my little brother. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would stand with me and then remain standing after the gospel reading. and. Uh, <laughs> now all of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them so he told him this parable which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices and when he comes home he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one of them does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it when she has found it, she calls together friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me now, number 692 in your hymnals, Spirit Open My Heart. Spirit open my 
write your love upon my heart as my law, my goal, my story in each thought, word, and deed. May my living bring you glory, Spirit, open my heart to the joy and pain of living as you love me. brother in the welcome of Christ may we welcome one another spirit open my heart to the joy and pain of living as you love may I love in receiving and in giving spirit God, we give you thanks that you have invited us into your good and beloved community, that you have gifted us with so many resources, that you have given us your love and your good welcome. And we ask, God, that in response to this, that we would give you much more than our money, but that we would also give you our hands, our feet, our time, our work for your peace and justice in this world. That we could be part of the beautiful colors that you are bringing to this world around us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated.
God, you've searched me and know me. You know when I rest and when I rise. Before I speak, you've heard it. You hem me in before and behind. Where can I go? Where can I flee? Wherever I go, you're there with me. With me. And if the darkness should hide me, And the day turned to night. Even then, you'll find me. Cause to you, darkness is just like light. Where can I go? Where can I flee? Wherever I go, you're there with me. If I ride the wings of dawn, if I sleep in the sea, If I make my bed in death, you're there with me, with me, with me. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is wrong in me. Lead me in your ways. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is wrong in me, lead me in your ways, lead me in your ways, lead me in your ways.
Our focused attention this morning is found in the Hebrew scriptures from the late 7th, early 6th century BCE prophet Jeremiah. I'll be reading in the fourth chapter of his book. Jeremiah 4, beginning in verse 11. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. Verse 22. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For the word of God that works its way into us. According to the website, Groove History, when American folk singer Hoyt Axton, born 1938 in Duncan, Oklahoma, shout out to Diane who went to OBU, well, when Axton wrote those soon-to-be-famous words, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He had no deeper meaning in mind. He was working on a song for a television show to promote peace and happiness and was having trouble coming up with a proper beginning. While sipping a glass of wine, he recounts how he meant these words only as a placeholder thinking he would come back someday and clean it up and change it. But the television show fell apart, and he put that song on the back burner when it was picked up by a band by the name of Three Dog Night. This section gets the prize over here. At first, it didn't really take on, but then a radio station DJ stumbled upon it and played it on the air. And the listeners went wild. The station's phone started ringing off the hook. And the song became an instant hit, spending six weeks on the number one spot of the U.S. Hot 100 in 1971. Now, not only is this a quirky piece of American musical trivia, but likely the first association many of you thought about when you hear the name Jeremiah. And surrendering irony over to happenstance or from happenstance, if you know anything at all about this Old Testament prophet by that name, you might agree. Yes, 
This Jeremiah was a bullfrog, indeed, and for good reason. Jeremiah's ministry occurred throughout one of the lowest points in the storied saving narrative of Hebrew history found throughout our Bible. The great city of Jerusalem had been conquered by the Babylonians from the north and was left smoldering in the smoke and ash of destruction. All the homes, the fields, the livestock, the businesses, and even the great temple itself were all wiped out, destroyed, and decimated. Families were ripped apart by death and separation. And those perhaps lucky enough to survive faced deportation exiled as slaves to serve the needs of a foreign country who had conquered them. This geopolitical upheaval impacted every level of society, especially for those who prided themselves as the people of God, who remember they had been liberated from slavery from their time in Egypt and were given a promised land, a land that they had built into a great civilization lasting over 500 years. The God who had liberated them and helped them wouldn't allow them to have their lives and their homes and especially their beautiful temple completely destroyed, would God? Thus speaketh the bullfrog. You have taken too much of the good life for granted. You have neglected God's law, God's command for us to live righteously and fairly with our neighbor. That God's purpose is for us to take care of each other and to live generously of heart and to always be moved to what is most compassionate and forgiving and good in the world. And all of that had been forgotten and forsaken. And now look at the fix we are in. Quoting perhaps another great American lyric, a hard rain is going to fall. Now my list of worries seems to get longer every day, and I'm sure many of you can add to the list of worries that we carry. For a few examples, the reality of climate change against those who deny its impact and now its growing daily dangers. The epidemic of anxiety and depression within populations of affluence, overwhelmed with too much information and given far too many opportunities for escape and numbness. The estrangement of families broken by the division of politics and the perspectives of prejudice with gaps too wide to mend. The prevalence of graft and greed at the highest levels of both our state and federal governments hell-bent to serve the lobbied interest of the uber-wealthy while constantly failing to serve the public good. The absolute insanity of tolerating weapons of mass destruction to be in the hands of those with criminal records and domestic abuse histories. The heartache at our borders, 
First in the southwest and now on the east coast of Florida with a massive humanitarian need right on our doorsteps to be met by the cruel and hateful policies of not our problem or why do you think we would want to help you? Thus speaks the bullfrog. As perhaps we realize Jeremiah is speaking to us as much as he is speaking to the people of his own time 2,500 years ago. This week, I had the great joy of spending some time with uh, Dr. Reverend James Forbes. Some may recognize his name at the time that he served Union Theological Seminary in New York as a preaching professor and served as pastor of the Riverside Church there in that city. And I think he's correct as I, in dialogue and, and listening and worshiping with him this week to say that we as a culture are at a time of a more de-spiritualized frame of mind. Now this is a little lengthy, but I'm quoting him here, and I think he's right, by saying de-spiritualization is the condition when a society loses a vital connection to its sources of values, meaning, purpose, environmental neighborliness, and fundamental dimensions of natural, personal, and divine relationality. We have lost the sense of the sacred and even basic notions of what it means to relate to each other as human beings. Nevertheless, whether we are religious or not, a residual spiritual sensibility suspects that if there is a dimension of death, an intimidation, an intimidation of transcendence or moral connective tissue holding us together as a community, this might be a wise moment to access that realm of existence or human existence itself will be imperiled. That's some heavy stuff, isn't it? Heavy burden. A heavy, almost desperate condition of our world. So for three weeks, I'm inviting you to think with me and to listen to and to ponder this prophet of old named Jeremiah, this bellicose, sometimes belligerent bullfrog who presents to us the longest book in the Bible. Maybe you might read through it over the next three weeks or follow the clues that you will get in this Tuesday's email as you seek to unwrap the wisdom, the hope, and the help that you will discover there. A few points to ponder. Number one, the troubling events of today's headlines are not meaningless or capricious. Each one of these miseries are being observed under the watchful eye of a loving and caring God. 
whom Jeremiah will reveal to us cares far more about these things than even we do. And next week, we will seek to move from the burden to the compassion of this weeping prophet and recognize sometimes we need to have the courage to lament and be sad and to feel the pain of so many who are in pain in this world. And like Jeremiah, we may not understand the tardiness of God's rescuing response. But we can join the prophet's deep insight into the power of confronting hard truths and seeking the counsel of a God who is passionately involved with us and who cares. People of faith don't fear God's judgment. In fact, we are more likely to feel that it's long overdue. Number two, justice will prevail in the end. The holy witness does not pull punches. Life can at times suck. Even for the faithful. Especially when we're surrounded by these false displays of religiosity that are nothing more than mere window dressings to hide corrupt, corrupt intent and lives underneath. And if God is able to help us through this trouble, as is proclaimed in the gospel lesson, we read a God intent, searching frantically for the lost, even the lost pieces of ourselves who feel unmoored and ill at ease and uncomfortable with all we see before us. If God is able to help us through this trouble, then God is always and ultimately in this restoring business. God is always rescuing. Always showing up when we least expect it. Always ready to help us even when we are unable and especially when we are unable to help ourselves. Evil may look like it's winning. But God is not finished yet. What a powerful witness Jeremiah says as the city lays in ruins and as he calls everyone stupid and foolish and says, God is not finished. Mm. I remember the great words of Martin Luther King Jr. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It's a long journey and a steep path that we, the faithful, are called to pilgrimage this direction. And we may get bruised knees. We may get bloody noses. And it may look all like all hope is lost. And that's why our faith is so crucial. Number three. For now, we are living in a time of testing. The question, can we turn this outrage into outreach? Our frustration 
into greater experiences of freedom, our anger channeled into constructive action. Truly repentive behavior is not only a lament, but a call that we will be different. Not only a feeling of regret or being sorry how things currently are, but a determined and courageous effort to change them and to change us. That we are not victims. And while these troubles and problems seem so big, it does not excuse the little things that we still might do to make a difference. We can cry out against climate change, but have we seriously considered reducing our purchasing and use of plastics? Or our consumption of too much chicken and beef in our diets? We may be offended by the treatment and additional suffering of immigrants and refugees fleeing disaster. But have we lifted a finger? And that's all it really takes in the age of the internet, just a finger. To put monetary support in the organizations working on the front lines for their relief. Even if it sounds crazy or insignificant, isn't there something, anything? that we might do against this tidal wave of so much peril. Being kind to your neighbor, loving those around you, finding someone who needs help and lifting them up, allowing compassion to rise up out of your joining in the suffering of the world and recognizing that this trouble is integrated with God's own trouble and that God is using you, God's people, to suffer through pain and tears and action, a redemptive purpose. This is not the time for us to draw back. It's the time for us to advance forward. It's not a time for us to be afraid. It is the time for us to demonstrate our faith. What we might discredit as impossible is only a tribute to our limited vision and meager faith. Think of Greta Thunberg, now 16, and currently in America, completing a zero-emission selling venture across the Atlantic, not wanting to use the fossil fuels to fly, at the age of 14, Greta was so concerned and distressed and despondent about the world's condition that she took a vow of silence speaking only to her parents and to a few selected teachers and wouldn't speak to anyone due to the virtual silence of the world facing its own extinction. At 15, she started skipping school on Fridays and standing up what the prophet does stand up and she stood up with her little sign all alone 15 years of age there with the legislators going back and forth to the Swedish parliament and saying to them when they say shouldn't you be in school that I have no future to inherit unless you take care of my future that is ahead and why should I worry about an education when there are decisions you're making that 
ensure me not of having that future. Mm. Amazing. This teenager and those kids from Parkland that saw their classmates die in a mass shooting becoming some of the world's leading voices and prophets for systemic change. Is the world already lost? <laughs> if so, what are we doing here? I've already told you how a throwaway tagline inspired by a wine-induced song lyricist wrote what is now one of the most recognized lyrics of all time. And if something as silly as that can make it, then so can we. Lord is good. Thank you to the Lord's people. That's right. And God is good to us. And let us live in celebration because it's only through joy that we are given the spiritual sustenance to face the troubles of the world. And so I invite you now to sing with joy and celebration to recognize that what God is preparing in us and around us is far more fulfilling than whatever can be sold across the street or can be offered out in the world. That we have something precious and incredible and life-giving and life-saving right here. Right here in the scriptures and in the message of God's good hope for a world that needs it so desperately. So I ask you, with Greta, with Jeremiah, stand up. Stand up and sing and respond.
I'm sure most of you have seen the news and notes today. There's many wonderful things that it announces. Uh, one of those is a business meeting this Wednesday night, and the packets for information are available as you leave on the small tables to either side. You're welcome to take that and be part of the business session of our church this Wednesday night. And then don't forget about supporting, either by a participant or a donor, of the Crop Hunger Walk. Uh, Sarah Ashley, thank you for your presentation for that and your encouragement for us to participate. But she's being a little too nice to you. Uh, she told me today that currently we are in last place as a church. So if that can get our computer... Of the 20 churches, yeah, not all the churches, but of 20 in this regard, uh, I asked her, what would it take for us to be in second to last place? <laughs> and that's only $70. But I certainly think we can make our goal of 500 and also you may want to sign up to participate, so do that. And thank you, Sarah Ashley, uh, for being the kind person, and I'll be the bad cop and try to get this going a little further across the finish line, but thank you for that and your sharing today. Um, anything else to talk about? All right. Our benediction today was written by Ben Boswell, a minister in North Carolina. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek the truth boldly and love deeply. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation, so that you may work tirelessly for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gifts of tears shed for those who suffer with pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all they cherish, so that you may reach out your arms to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in the world so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. To the glory of God, through Jesus, his Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.